Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. This is the Massachusetts Performance Podcast, brought to you by Matthew Micheroni and Bobby Dattero. Hey guys, this is Mass Performance Podcast. We're back with you today, and we're going to talk about squats. Everything squats will be talked about. How do we progress it? What movements do we use? Sets, reps, tempo? Anything you can think of, we're going to cover. Stay tuned. All right, guys, before we get into our squat variation, we're going to catch up with Bobby, see how everything is going at Evolution Sports Performance. So, Bobby, how's it going there? Yeah, it's pretty funny. Since we started recording some of these podcasts, it um, started making me think a little bit differently about how I've been programming and how I've been doing my thing. Because, you know, I work with the same two guys all the time, so the opinions don't really change a whole lot. So I've actually been working uh, my programming a little bit differently getting back to some of the basics that I maybe have gotten a little far from, um, getting more kids doing some RDLs, getting some more kids um, into Olympic lift variations as long as, you know, it's a good fit for them. Um, and otherwise, it's, it's, it's busy for us right now, so it's really, really good. Um, winter's always a good time, and, you know, people are still interested, so we're always happy about that. Yeah, I was going to say, is there rumors true that you might be moving to another spot in Easton? We're working on it. Working on it? Unconfirmed. Can't non, uh, can't confirm or deny? We we will be moving. Where and when is, is to be determined. All right, good. First up on our talk today, let's talk about our squat progression. There's so many ways to progress it. Some people right, uh, jump right into back squat. Others uh, front squat, so, uh, some overhead squat day one. It all varies based on your uh, comfort level. But for you, Bobby, how do you progress the squat? Say you got your kid coming in, 14 years old, 18, coming back from college or injury. What is your go-to progression? So my go-to progression starts with a kettlebell goblet squat. And this, this assumes that this person has never trained with me and is on the younger side. An older athlete, if they can demonstrate to me that they can front squat properly, then I will front squat them. But my typical progression with younger athletes or their, or uh, lifters with no experience is a kettlebell goblet squat. We'll go through that progression. Um, once myself or one of my coaches kind of looks at the athlete, and it's almost like, hey, that kettlebell is almost a little too heavy for them to hold in the goblet position, like, hey, everything else looks good, except I don't know if they can hold any heavier, then we'll move to a two-kettlebell goblet squat or a two-kettlebell front squat in the front rack. And um, once everything there looks good, I like to, you know, if they're up to, you know, two 14K kettlebells or so, you know, we'll finish out the phase, and then I'll move them into a barbell front squat. 
I like it. I would uh, say for me, it always varies. I know everyone hates that answers, uh, but it does vary. Uh, nine times out of ten, if you're coming in as a freshman, we're going to probably start with the barbell day one. We're going to go into that front rack position or a hands-free front squat. This is usually due to size of a team, uh, uh, older older athletes lifting. We'll go hands-free front squat. We'll try to get a coach one-on-one with you. Uh, we'll assess your own mobility before. We'll go over our squat cues and technique. And then from there, we're either going to regress you to a goblet squat. And if we feel like that day a hands-free front squat is good, we might do that for one to three weeks. It depends. Or we might go right to the front rack position. Generally, uh, you will front squat with the, me for at least five to eight weeks before we even think about introducing a back squat. Uh, the overhead squat is something else we'll implement fairly soon. Snatching is really big in our program, so that's just uh, an end result where we have to teach the overhead squat. But like Bobby said, it also depends on the athlete's age. A lot of times, some don't have the mobility to go overhead or hold that front back position, so we will progress. But like he said, uh, I do believe the final end product of our squat variation is the back squat. So there's progressions and regressions we use, but it all varies again. All right, so next up, how often, Bobby, do you try to incorporate single-leg knee dominance, so squat variations? Let's skip the step-ups. No one really likes them anyways. They're stupid. Let's go right into how do you progress your single-leg squat. So examples like uh, split squat, single-leg squat box, the single-leg squat off box, so on and so forth. Okay, so I use uh, I use categories. Um, if I have a three-day lifter, and I assume that this person is a squatter, then I will have um, at least one split squat lunge variation on a different day, and I will have one single leg squat where we just, you know, monitor the height that we're using. Um, sitting to a box, we add some blue pads, we just make sure that the height is appropriate for that athlete. Um, some of my athletes will do a different split squat or lunge variation three days a week. If they're, uh, if it's early in their program, like if I know if I have a kid for like eight months and it's the, this is like phase one, two, or three of, you know, their off-season program, I'll have kids like split squat one day, reverse lunge another day, and do a Bulgarian or a riff, but elevated on a different day. So for me, it all depends on how often the athlete is in and how long I have them for. But I like to get at least two single leg variations in addition to a front squat variation in uh, most of my programs. I like it. So for me, on my end, it's a little different. A lot of times, I try to at least go one-to-one. I have two progressions, uh, uh, barbell split squat, for example, or dumbbell split squat, whatever you want to call it. We'll start with, from there, we'll go to the reverse lunge, and nine times out of ten, that's where we end, is the reverse lunge on that. I will sometimes try to get in skater squats, but it just depends. A lot of times, you don't have enough consistent training, or um, our goals are elsewhere, right? We're getting into a strength power phase or power strength phase where it's just not going to match up with our goals. Um, the other variation I do is I generally start single leg right away. So I won't go into a lot of these progressions. I won't start with a squat to a box. I think it is beneficial, but I feel like a lot of times with our age of athletes, we're wasting our time. Um, many of them can do a single leg squat from a box. Uh, so we either go single leg squat from box, and if they can't handle that, 
we'll go to single leg squat front box with support. So the holding onto a rack, hands under the barbell uh, in the rack, a band maybe around the rack to help support and limit their body weight. Uh, that is our, that is my final progression of that. I wish, um, and if they do really well with that, we'll add weight. No one ever said, uh, no one said there's a rule where you can't add a 16 to like 32 kilo dumbbell or kettlebell and have them hold that as they squat down to increase their body weight. Uh, I know it's uh, not sexy, but it's very simple. What were you going to say, Bobby? No, I was just going to say, especially like with the, with the single leg squat, my single leg squat may just always be single leg squat to a box. And the way I progress yeah. it, my end result is low. And, yeah. and, and my, like, I, I, it, maybe if they don't get 90 degrees first, then, okay, the, the goal is to get them to 90 degrees. And then after that, it's, you know, just load it. It's like the same with chin-ups. It's like there is no progression. It's just weight. Yeah. Can we go on a tangent real quick? Because I feel like you'll like this one. Um, go ahead. I was tweeting out the other day. I was just like, uh, something, you know, if it, if I need a flow chart to figure out how you do a single leg squat from box, you're doing it wrong. So many people have so many progressions that it just literally just squat from the box. If they can't do it, have them do eccentric. If they can't do that, have them hold on to something, do an eccentric, control the motion. Like there shouldn't be 16 steps to get you to a single leg squat from box. No, um, I, again, it's, it's, there's a couple of those, um, there are a couple of those exercises where, you know, sometimes they just kind of have to do it. Like, there's yeah. no logical, linear, step-by-step progression. It's it's the movement. And it's either getting better depth or using the tempo or adding load. And, you know, that, that that's how it progresses. This exercise doesn't change. Yeah. Like, like so this is what I was saying in that, like, thing. I was like, too many people worry about progressions or regressions of exercises when training. You shouldn't need a compass to navigate your flow chart of how to progress and regress a single leg squat. Just meet your athletes where they're at. There's no rule that says the whole rumor group needs to do the same variation. Right? Like, I saw it. It was, like, going around social media. And I understand, like, you need to know your training, but goddamn. Just just do it. Figure it out. Figure out how to regress it on the spot. Like, you don't need to baby people. I think we're in the culture of, like, people get babied. They're like, oh, well, they think if you do the same thing for 8 to 12 weeks, oh, it's boring. I need to progress them so they know they're making progress. Sometimes making progress is doing a single leg squat with your body weight for four weeks. And then at the end of the semester or the end of the training cycle with you, they're doing a single leg squat for accessory work holding a 60-pound dumbbell. Yeah, and I think a, a lot of times where the progression-regression thing gets a little cloudy is when rehab kind of gets mixed into it. Um, a lot of times we either use the wrong avenue or the wrong people for strength conditioning, and what's really happening is rehab and therapy. And, you know, like we're strength and conditioning coaches, performance coaches. We need athletes to perform at a high level. It's, you know... I just I can't get on board with some of these progressions regressions because they're they're so so basic that these athletes should be way beyond that type of movement. Yeah, uh, that's a great point. I honestly, before I started ranting about this, I didn't think about the physiotherapy aspect of the physiotherapy. I do think that's a good point too. I think we get so far away from being strength coaches that we don't want to just improve performance or human optimization, right? We don't want to make you move as a better person. We want to fix you, but that's not our job. Our job as a strength coach is not to fix you. It's to notice inconsistencies, right, in your movement and 
program to maybe work with it or give you the opportunity on your own to figure out that issue and it's not to fix it. You know what I mean? Like so many people want to, like I feel like it's so common with strength coaches now that like we'll see someone tears their ACL and they're going through their rehab. But, you know, me, you, and the other 60,000 strength coaches who never went to physiotherapy, uh, physiotherapy school or have an MD think we know better than the PT who's helping that athlete with their return to play protocol. No, and the big the big thing that we need to know as strength coaches is, you know, we, we do need to know in a, a level of, you know, some of that stuff. Like if someone's dealing with, you know, patellofemoral pain, okay, well, what movements are going to make that feel worse? It's like, you know, we need to know those types of things. But at the same time, it's, you know, we, we, we like to get people training hard, as hard as possible in a, in a safe and effective manner. So knowing, yeah. knowing the difference there. And, you know, making sure that they are, in fact, getting a training effect. Sometimes I think that gets lost. Yeah, I think you're pretty accurate about that. I feel like, especially as we're talking about the single leg squats, like, single leg squats a box can be a challenging movement. But, I mean, if you have – if your athlete can probably play sports, that's not as challenging as it needs to be. And it's you're just delaying the end process, which could probably make them better in a short-term effect, if that makes sense. I think I just rambled on that one, but, like – why wait 16 weeks to do it when you could probably start day one and get better at it right away? No, I thought you brought up a good point earlier, too, where you just throw people right into front squatting. I'm actually a big fan of that. Um, the only reason I can't do it is some of my athletes just literally aren't strong enough to handle 45 pounds. Yeah. Um, so I can't do that all the time. But I really like throwing people into the fire on uh, front squats. And if I was going to snatch them, overhead squats, too. They have to learn the movement anyway. And the only way that they're going to learn it is by doing it. I can't give someone a fucking PVC pipe and expect them to be able to front squat a barbell. It's not the same. It doesn't work. Yeah. Um, I think a great thing is I took the certification recently, and one of the instructors said, he was just like, no, he's like, there is a place for mobility. I do agree with it, but he's like, the body adapts really well under load. And he's like, not heavy load to learn a movement, but you'll notice a lot of things clean up. He's like, an example, if you have someone who lacks frontal plane stability when walking, a lot of times if you put like a 10 to 15 pound vest on them, they walk smoother. It's the same idea when you do speed work. If someone had like a 10 pound vest on them doing speed work, you'll notice they run in a more controlled manner because they have an external load to create something in their body to make that movement more efficient. And I thought it was a really good point. Like he used it on the Turkish getup. He's like, guys, you can do a Turkish getup all day with a shoe, a fit, like your fist in a shoe. But he's like, I'm going to tell you, it's never going to correct anything unless you get 16 to 20 kilos on there and learn how to do it perfectly under load. No, I, I agree with that 100%. Yeah, and I, I like to make that argument because on the other side where it's just like, oh, we need progression A, B, C, all the way to Z. And I'd be like, at the end of my semester, I'd be frustrated. I'm like, how didn't we make it past split squat? And I was like, well, shit. That's why. <laughs> all right, so next up, let's talk about your sets and reps. How do you program your volume and intensity for your barbell movements and then go into your single leg squat movements? Yep, so my, my barbell movements, I like to I like to introduce front squats at um like a six rep range, usually three to four sets. Um that would be in like a you know, depending on what you want to call it, it's a little bit of volume. It's um more or less like a like a learning learning the pattern kind of thing. Whatever however you want to call it, I don't know. I don't call I don't, you know, name my phases. I just um I just progress them as I go. So what I like to do, I like to start with sixes. 
And I'm fully aware that some of those sixes, especially if it, if the athlete's new to front squatting, some of those sixes are going to be garbage. So if I get four good ones in the set, then I'm really, really excited. Um, yeah. But I like to, you know, introduce them to a little bit of loading, get, you know, build that, like, you know, the base, you know, as cliched as that is. But, you know, get them comfortable with the bar on their shoulders, get them used to front squatting. And if it's one of my returning athletes that has front squatted in the past, they probably haven't been doing it a ton at school. So it's it's almost like a reacclimation to the lift. With my accessory stuff and my single leg stuff, I always like to start at eight. Um, if it's like a single leg squat and the depth isn't where I like it, then um, I may start with six and have, have them work on depth. Um, but, you know, if that's okay, I start with eight, then I give them some load, move into, like, the six range, and then, you know, just add weight going from there. I like it. Uh, for me, when you come in, a lot of times for our squats, we're going to stick between that 70 to 85% range, and we're going to hammer that home. That's where a lot of good gains come from. Uh, in addition to that, a couple times a year, we will touch 85 to 90, where we'll get into, like, some singles, uh, clusters, maybe a double, right? It depends on the goals. Now, for sets and reps, when we go, um, it varies. So, off-season, you're going to see volume. I do agree with Bobby. I think 10s have a time and place, and I do like to use them. I think 3 by 10 can do you right pretty well, right? Off-season, it's a great time for hypertrophy, volume. In addition to that, if you want to get into the science stuff, you're getting a really great aerobic training effect from it, right? You're teaching the body how to clear uh, clear the skeletal system of all the buildup because of tens, right? It's just so metabolically taxing. It's great for body composition. Uh, we will do tens. I don't really do eights. I skip over eights. I feel like it's just a very similar training effect to tens. That there's no point in going ten, eight, six, four, two. Uh, my rep scheme will generally go tens. From there, we'll go to fives. We'll stay at fives, accumulate volume from fives. So you'll come in. A perfect example is you go three by ten, two by ten, one by ten. Then we'll go maybe four by five. Three by five, two by five for your top sets, one by five, and then we'll do an inverse volume where we're gaining volume again through strength, right? So we're going maybe back to two by five, three by five, four by five, and then after you've squatted for a while, we'll go to threes and you'll earn the right to do some clusters. Uh, for my single leg work, it's a little more simple. I just kind of keep it to match the goals of the phase. So for in tens, you might have three by five each leg, so ten total reps with no rest. If we're in fives, I'll probably just keep you at fives. Anyways, it is an accessory movement. So I understand it's the king of all strength movements on single leg. And it's great to play of athleticism, but it's just not as taxing as a barbell squat with that heavy external load. So we'll just, we'll stay around fives. If you're tapering to peak, we might go down to threes to take some fatigue off. But generally, it's going to be five to ten reps. You got anything to add on that one, Bobby? Yeah, I think I, I think I like, you know, stop my, my, um, like scheme like halfway through and a lot of a lot of what I end up doing is very linear. So, you know, if I start with sixes it'll be six, five, four, three. I don't go less than three. And um I actually also don't really test one RMs really with anything. So in my squads I get people up to heavy sets of three. I use that as like, you know, kind of where they train at. And if I need to get into some tempo work or some clusters you know, I just kind of estimate it based off of that. But most of my most of my progression is very, very linear. Yeah, you know, I love 
a linear progression. It's something when I used to be kind of like a dick and thought I knew everything, I undervalued it. And then I realized, like, you can do a – I don't think anyone has ever truly used a linear program until it doesn't work. Like, it, 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 takes a, it takes a really long time. And I've only yeah. seen a handful of people where if I get them going linear and if they're with me for, you know, nine months, you know, I might work down to threes. You know, ease back up. You know, take take some load off the bar, get them back to a three, and even then, you know, the three that they finished on the second time around is always heavier than the three that they finished on the first time around. So if you just manipulate it that way, most of my people are good. And then um, because I'm not, you know, I'm not working with lift professional lifters, powerlifters, weightlifters, whatever. Um, everyone always leaves for their season. So you get a you get an automatic reset no matter what. So uh, with a lot of our athletes, linear linear periodization ends up working really really well. Yeah, no, I didn't. I don't even say generally, even like regular people training, like people get bored, they move away from it, and uh, it just doesn't work out. Like as someone, like I'm not like I after I hurt my back, I didn't squat for a while. So to give an example, I decided after talking to some of my coworkers, they're like, just, I'm doing a linear progression. I think I'm on like week nine right now and I really haven't hit a wall I haven't had to reduce reps and uh so on and so forth but you can run it for so long because just think say if you did five by five forever and the you know last set you add a couple kilos until you can't do it then instead of five by five even at a flat load say you start at 225 for five sets of five you you go up you hit a plateau at maybe 275 where you can no longer do five sets of five so you cut it down to four sets of five, and now you can still go up a couple pounds. And then you run down to one set of five where you can't go up anymore. And then you go down to true fours, like four by four. Run that, so you get 320, 330. Then you go to threes, you get to 365. I don't think anyone's really ever spent that time doing it. Like I, I know like starting strength, you like Mark Rippetto talks about it a lot. But I don't think anyone truly ever does it or has the uh, patience to really see it out to the end. Something else I really like, and this I, I haven't heard many people say it, and maybe people do do it, but something I like is if you take an exercise and say one that doesn't load really well, like, for example, um, some females and, like, a dumbbell bench. You know, dumbbell bench, five pounds, might be too heavy of a jump for them. So something that... I've actually kind of played around with was the weight stays the same and we do like a set. Okay. So one phase we work on like, you know, eights. All right. Well now we're going to try to get tens with that weight. All right. Well now we're going to try to get 12 with that weight. It, 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 assuming this is like, you know, like a hypertrophy kind of uh, spot. And then, all right, well let's go up a set of dumbbells and now we come back to, you know, if it's sixes, okay, well, and you're keeping that weight, and you're, we're trying to get to eights, trying to get to tens, trying, trying to make sure that we, you know, get to um, the, you know, we can keep increasing weight when possible, but sometimes it might be too much. And it's, uh, so what I just described is obviously linear. It's still linear. It's just increasing, uh, increasing reps to handle more weight. Yeah, I know what you're saying exactly, like, some, uh, just some, like, volume accumulation training almost, where, like, if you're doing 50 pounds, you do 50 for, like, three sets of five, that's all you get, because dumbbells, the way it jumps, can't get 55, 
So then you go three sets of six, three sets of eight for that cycle. And then, then it, by then you bump her up five pounds and say she's at 60, but now you're doing like three sets of four or three, you know what I mean? A little less with more. Exactly. All right. So now that we're going to get back on topic to her squats, uh, what are some of your biggest contraindications to squatting? Like what, if an athlete or a gen pop client comes in, what will make them not squat? Like what uh, injury history preferences, like why would you veer away from it? So I'll only remove the squat in cases of knee and back pain. Um, a lot, like a lot of people will, will, you know, they'll be like, oh, well, you know, front squat activates, you know, activates your anterior core and you get thoracic extension. And you know what? Those are good things, but some people, it just doesn't work for them. It really just doesn't. So if someone's really dealing with some back pain, I like to get them into prioritizing a single leg movement, whether it's foot squats or rear foot elevated, whatever. And um, the same would go for knees. Like someone who really has been really loading their knees pretty heavily and they're starting to get the, you know, patellofemoral, the quad tendon, the non-specific stuff. Um, what I might do is prioritize the hip hinge, give them some accessory single leg stuff, give them some single leg squats uh, on and off the box. And then, um, but otherwise, I keep squats in the program. Now, all my baseball people, my overhead people, anyone with an elbow or shoulder injury, I probably won't have the back squat but they will squat in some capacity. Yeah, I mean, I'm in the same boat. If you come in with, like, a diagnosed uh, lower back injury and it's something that is a pain trigger, we're going to skip it right away. Uh, for other issues that go on, there's the uh, low back. Uh, I'll throw in hips. A lot of times if you have a hip issue, it's going to modify how we squat. So, for example, it's like say you have an anterior labor, uh, labral tear in your hip. If that is something that bugs you to full range of motion squatting. We might move away from it and use a split squat as a main movement because it's a little more friendly, but it all varies. I can't give you a strict answer on that. Uh, the final one I will agree with Bobby is knee. Uh, if you have a lot of knee pain, we might try to try, we might try other variations of squat. We might back squat where it's a little more friendly on the knee. If that doesn't work, we can move to single leg variations. I'm not married so much to the exercise, but the idea of what it can bring. All right, so your last one is let's just uh, shoot the shit, talk about what we have, anything else you want to cover regarding squats. Yeah, I mean, um, I think, like, like especially with squats, um, something that I've definitely cooled off on is I, w I want to see squats look good, but what my definition of look good is, I don't want actually a definition. So... If someone is squatting and, you know, one foot is kind of turned out and the other isn't, I let it go. If someone's one foot is slightly in front of the other, let it go. If they're not hip shifting, if they're stable on the way down, but their stance is kind of off, it may be, you know, maybe the elbows aren't as high as we would see in a textbook. Um, it doesn't matter. As long as, the, as long as the pattern looks good, the weight can be held. I think a lot of people get caught up in what, you know, like what we got, what we get tested on in like for squat technique or, hey, name what's wrong with this. And, you know, I like to let my athletes move. And then I like to do my squats and see if they come up all set and start to look good. And, uh, but I don't have like any 